Today's guest is going to help you close more deals through engaging your prospects in meaningful conversation. He's been in sales for over 10 years, and he's worked for some really great companies like InsideSales.com, Silverview, and now Scratchpad. And he's closed multiple six-figure deals. So if that sounds like someone you can learn from, then let's hop right in. Welcome back to the Sales Leader Show. I'm here today with Jake Wilson, who is an account executive for Scratchpad. And Jake, before we hit record, you had mentioned that the one thing that every rep should stop doing is pitching features. So what exactly do you mean by pitching features? Yeah, I mean, I've been in sales for about 10 years and 10 plus years. And it's really it's an easy, really easy trap to fall into to just pitch product features. It's like shooting a shotgun. You spray it out, hope something sticks, hope something's interesting or of value to them. It's just a lazy way of selling. And it typically doesn't go very well unless you're selling to lower level decision makers or to really small organizations and companies. If you're trying to increase your deal sizes, work with larger companies, that approach doesn't work. And so yeah, what I've learned in my time of sales is you really need to focus on like, what does the customer care about? What's going to impact their their business, their bottom line? And how can you tie what your organization does back to the value that they need to get out, uh, get out of your platform, right? Instead of trying to pitch specific features, it's how can the platform or the tool that you have drive value in the areas that they care about? So how do you know what your customer or might what might be a value to them? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. That's part of your uh, your discovery process, right? So when you have that first conversation, you need to make it about the customer and not about yourself, right? You need to be very empathetic. You need to be very curious and interested in you know what they care about, what they're going through, and you know you need to do it in a way that's tactful where. You know, you're giving them what they want because they're obviously meeting with you because they're curious to learn about your solution. But before you can really provide them the most value during that first call, you do need to, you do need to understand like what they care about and you need to understand that so you can bring them the most value in that first discovery call. So do you do research before each call or do you uh, just ask the the person when you get to them? kind of to find out more or maybe both probably a little bit of both i i should probably do more research right than i than i tend to do on every single conversation that i have yeah. but the more research you can do the more prepared you're, you'll feel and the better you can connect with that person and the better that you can connect and as soon as you can gain trust that's when you can start asking like the difficult questions uh, or get them to open up with specific details that will help you know where you can bring value if you don't have their trust and if they don't feel like they can tell you those things it'll be really difficult to uncover that information that you need so if there's a rep out there listening um that kind of has struggled with that maybe they they have a script that they follow every time and they just sort of spray and pray you know um what's a tip to sort of help them build some trust with that person right off the bat in the first conversation to maybe earn 
the opportunity to get answers to the questions in that type of discovery uh, conversation. Yeah, I feel like a lot of salespeople, sometimes they get a little too formal with the sales approach. Like you've got all these sales methodologies, you've got all these sales related books that you can read that kind of go through, hey, this is your sales process, this is what you're supposed to do, these are the steps. And like, all that stuff is great. It can really help you and support you and like, you know, gathering the right types of information or knowing what types of questions to ask. But at the same time, you need to be human when you're speaking with people and when you're having conversations. And if you're just going straight into business and straight into asking questions, they're not going to open up. They're not going to trust you. They don't really care. But if you can show that you care about them, um, be interested and curious, be human with them. I think it's, you know, you don't always just need to follow a script every single time and every single discovery call. That's awesome advice. That's something that I certainly, um, I wish I'd known that earlier in my career because I sounded like a robot pretty much. So <laughs> same, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I started off in a call center and literally you read the script because the call center was to go and ask people specific questions about their service appointment. And so then you, when you start there, you start getting into sales and you're like, Oh, I need a script. I can read it word for word. And then it just doesn't work. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to get, past that, get past the scripts and just be human with them. And then use all of that information that you learned from, you know, podcasts or books or from your leaders to help you help support you in how to gather the right type of knowledge. So you say that sales reps, you think they should prospect more. And my question on that is, what do you think is holding sales reps back? from doing more prospecting? Prospecting, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but for a lot of the people that I know, there's, you know, steps that you take in your career. And a lot of people that get into sales, they'll start as an SMB seller, or they might start as like a business development rep. And when you're in those roles, it's kind of expected that you're going to do a lot of cold calling, a lot of, you know, appointment setting. And all of a sudden you get into mid-market or enterprise and you have resources that you never had before. You have business development reps that are supposed to be setting up meetings for you or, you know, making those cold calls on your behalf. It can become really easy to lean on that and like not to want to make those phone calls because you just hope that someone else will do that for you because making cold calls sucks. Like nobody enjoys and if there is someone that does enjoy it, you know, they're a psychopath, but no one enjoys making cold calls. That's not like what we like doing. You get into sales because you like going through a discovery. You like, you know, figuring out what, what pains that you can solve. And then you like positioning your, your product or your organization in a way that we're solving their, their pains and bringing value. And those are the fun conversations. But in my experience, the reps that I've seen that are really good at prospecting, are the ones that have the most success. And this is another conversation, but prospecting can take multiple forms. It doesn't have to be that cold call. And so people that think of prospecting as just making cold calls are also probably not gonna be our top performers, but there's so many different ways of prospect, whether that's asking for referrals from your customers you've already sold your product to. Those can be a great resource and that can be a way of prospecting to build your own pipeline. 
Okay, so mix it up a bit. Don't just go for one, what would you call it, one uh, channel to find yeah. leads. Exactly. I, I saw a post a few years ago from you, and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it had something to do with the fact uh, or something about, you know, can someone connect me with the a certain executive in a company? I have a pair of shoes for them or something like that. You had bought some <laughs> sneakers or so. I can't remember. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. That what was, was a, that? That was a few years ago. Um, I was just trying to get creative with my prospecting. This was around COVID. And people were, they stopped buying, right? They weren't taking meetings. They were really scared. They didn't want to purchase anything. And it was actually really hard to even get meetings at that time. But I had identified a company that I thought would be a really great fit. Um, I had had conversations with leaders that were manager level, director level that had expressed that there's a lot of pain that they thought that my solution could offer. And I just thought, well, who do I need to get in, who do I need to get in front of in order to, you know, have a conversation and talk to them about what they're what pain they're experiencing and how my solution can help, you know, resolve that pain. So I was able to get a name and I was like, okay, well, if I email you know, the CRO or some C-level individual, they're not going to reply to me. If I send a text message or make a phone call, they're not going to answer me. They're, they're too busy. So I was like, what is the best way that I could get a hold of this person or, or at least get his attention? Because my goal was just to go and do something outside of the ordinary so I could just make him pay attention to what was going on. So I just, I, I'd actually uh, saw someone do something similar with like a Traeger on LinkedIn. I was like, well, I don't have a Traeger to give away, but I do have a cool custom pair of, you know, my company, my previous companies like basketball shoes that were like LeBron basketball shoes. I'm like, I could do something similar and do a little giveaway. And maybe I could, you know, spark my network to tell this individual why he should take a meeting with me. And that would get his attention with enough people like at mentioning this individual where he just got a ton of LinkedIn, you know, notifications about this post. So yeah, it was it was a fun way to prospect. It was definitely different. I haven't replicated it a ton of times, but again, it doing things in a different way and having fun with it are definitely ways to to get better at prospecting. That's awesome. So, um if if there's like if there's a rep right now like that yeah, again, they probably started their career doing 200 dials a day or 100 dials a day or something and they're kind of maybe feeling burnt out from prospecting. Um, obviously recommend kind of using different channels and being creative with it. Do you have any other advice for them to help them, you know, just get up the gumption to fill up their pipeline and take responsibility for that? Well, it doesn't take 200 or a hundred dials a day anymore. Right. I grew up, that's how I kind of grew up in sales, right. Is I started with yeah. the, the power dialer, making 250 calls a day, calling horrible leads. And when you're calling off of like a, you know, a phone book and there's not really any real qualification or reason that this person would be interested in your product. Yeah. It might take 250 calls to set an appointment just because you're trying to spitball and, and guess who the right people are. But nowadays you can kind of understand like who your target market are, your, who your target market is. You can understand the types of people you should going at. You should be going after, develop a quick elevator pitch to, you know, grab their attention. It shouldn't, t I mean, and nowadays you've got tools like Zoom Info that can give you people's cell phone numbers. So the access to people is so much easier than it was before that it doesn't take nearly as many dials to have the same types of results. So 
don't be scared because it's not going to take 200 calls a day. And I don't know. That's yeah, that's about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, just do it, right? Just, just do it. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> um, we had talked about that everyone is trying to contact the C-suite. Yep. And, you know, it's kind of off topic, but you kind of mentioned just now that, you know, it doesn't take 200 dials, right? So just get off, off your rump and start calling, right? But I'm curious, you kind of mentioned that you had a secret sauce. I, I'm going to call it that. You didn't use those words, but you have a secret sauce when it comes to getting a hold of those top level people that have, you know, unbudgeted funds. So what is your method for getting in touch with those people that maybe not everyone's using? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing to understand, or the first thing as a salesperson is you just need to leave your ego at the door. Um, you're not the most important person at your company. You're not the most important person to your prospect. And you're definitely not the most important person to most C-level executives. So if you, as an account executive, are trying to prospect to someone in the C-suite, especially in an enterprise organization, um, you might be able to get a C-suite member at like a startup, right? Or a very small SMB organization, but mid-market, enterprise, they are never going to respond to one of your emails. You could create a, a cadence with 10 emails, you're not going to get a reply. You're just going to get uh, unsubscribe. Um, you're, they're not going to answer your phone because they're getting called by a hundred other salespeople at other companies that are trying to sell to that same person. And don't text message them either because they're just going to get pissed at you, right? If, for the C-suite, especially, especially if a sales rep is trying to text them. You can hustle. And I think that's, you know, to be applauded. I don't want to discourage anyone from hustling. But you also, you don't only, only want to work hard, you want to work smart. And with C-suite especially, you need to have, a, you need to be more strategic in how you go after them. And, you know, I, I tried that giving the shoes away thing. I don't think that's something you should have to, you should repeat for every single C-suite member you're trying to get a hold of. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've, I've, over the years I've worked, worked with people, there's thing I, things I've learned. And one things that, one of the things I've learned is that you need to activate the people around you that do have that higher title or that do have that access to the individuals that you're trying to go after. So in my company right now, specifically, I've got my CEO who's very involved in our sales process, who's willing to you know reach out to C-level C individuals. Um, also we've got people on, um, our investment team or investment board, I guess you call them, whatever the organization that's invested in our company, they have contacts within that organization and they've, we've used a tool that kind of activates them and lets us have that visibility into who they're connected with. And so I can leverage those resources to get contact at the C-suite level without it, ha it having to be me directly because I the success rate for me going after those individuals is pretty low. That's really interesting because I mean, at, at what point can a CEO or your C-suite or your, you know, investor, your advisors that are invested into the company, at what size of a, of an organization does that get too big where a rep can't really ask their CEO anymore? Or, or is it something where, Maybe it's not every single sale you need to talk to the CEO and you, you do, you know, lean on your, 
your executive team for that a little bit more whenever you can? Or what what is your thought on that? I, my thought on that is, you know, a startup like the one I work for is you typically start selling SMB, you start graduating to mid-market, then you start getting to enterprise. When you're trying to get into enterprise, you need that uh, velocity. You need a high velocity sales for enterprise. Like you're trying to speed up deal cycles. You're, you're trying to bring in these deals across the line. And especially early on, like you're going to have as much access and support as you need because the organization needs that growth and they need to get in front of C-suite members that are, that have access to unbudgeted funds. Like you had mentioned, like we've talked about and you're not a name brand in, in most cases. So they're not coming to you. So being proactive, that's kind of the best way. But I think as an organization grows and becomes larger and has more brand recognition and people understand the value that you bring without you having to proactively tell them, you start to get some more inbound, right? Traffic, I guess you could call it because there's awareness and you start to even create a larger network of people that, that you could access as well, where you're not just leaning on your C-suite or your investors. All of a sudden, if I sell a deal to Amazon, right? And I've got key stakeholders that um, we've presented value to and they purchased and I've got those contacts now and they've seen value and they've loved it. Maybe I'm trying to sell to Google and I just say, great. I don't know if Google and Amazon like each other, probably not. But uh, <laughs> anyways, if I were to say, hey, could you reach out to this person on my behalf and like let them know that you enjoyed working with us, you should, they should look it out uh, or they should check it out. I don't know. That's a way that you could activate your network that's higher level than you are to get access to those types of individuals. So I think as you grow and build out your own personal network as well, mm -hmm. that's, that's how you can gain that access beyond just your C-suite or your investors. And you also talked about how you use other people within the company, like a, uh, and someone you call them like their right-hand man or their lieutenant, their top lieutenant in the business that maybe if you can get them as your champion, you might be able to get access to that C-suite. What's an example of, or how would that go if you're kind of going that route? Yeah, um, in a lot of times as a sales rep, you can get a hold of VPs. You can get a hold of um, sales operations folks. And when you get a hold of them, you know, you can have a great conversation. They can really like what you have, but they've got a hundred other priorities and you're the new thing that's been put on their plate. You are not the number one priority. And they have their C-suite that's telling them, hey, these are the things that you need to be focused on. So they're obviously going to be more focused on those things that are being directed top down rather than what I've brought to them as a seller. And so as a seller, it's really important that you kind of work two angles. One, you want to make your product, you want to drive some product awareness internally into that organization. So you do want VPs and, you know, people that report to your CRO or your, your CEO, you want them to be aware of what Scratchpad is and that's what you can impact. And then you want to leverage your outside network that can impact it from the top, because if they can get access to the C-suite and the C-suite's like, yes, this is something we need to prioritize. They're going to go to their key Lieutenant. They're going to go to that individual and say, Hey, have you heard of Scratchpad? And all of a sudden the it's all, it's all going to connect here because you've already done that push from the bottom up. You've made people aware 
so that when their CEO comes to them or their CRO comes to them and says, are you aware of this specific product? I work with Scratchpad, right? They'll be like, yeah, I know exactly what Scratchpad is. And so, or I've heard of Scratchpad. Yeah, let me look into them a little bit more. All of a sudden it's a directive that's coming from the top down and it gets bumped up on, on that list of priorities. Something that will get evaluated rather than glossed over and then told, hey, yeah, let's check this out in a quarter or two. Mm-hmm. Is that what most of your your pipeline looks like is deals like that where you are trying to strategically influence the, the CEO so that by the time you have your CEO or you're an executive member of your team reach out to them or maybe you reach out to them, they already sort of are familiar with your brand. Is that the majority of what you're doing? Are those just sort of the top top tier leads or like is that your every day or is there something else that you do? It's a lot of effort to put in for like a, an SMB motion. I feel like those ones are, you yeah. know, you, you can get that direct access. It, it's a little easier to, to close things quickly <clears throat> and not have to, you know, be as strategic, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like working enterprise logos now, that's something that I'm focusing on more and more is how do I get to, in my case, the CRO? Because the CRO is the person that in most cases will hold the unbudgeted funds that I'm trying to gain access to. Because mm-hmm. Scratchpad is just isn't something that's currently budgeted for. Um, at, you know, because people don't know what it is. It's not that's something new... that they've thought about to budget for. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that is definitely something that's a, a high focus for me that I'm trying to, most of the deals that I'm, I'm focusing on, that's what I'm trying to do. Are those higher level? Yeah. Okay. There's a couple of different things I want to dig into, but before I do, we'll see if we have time for them. Uh, recently, you mentioned before that you'd started sort of speaking up internally, it sounded like, and maybe, you know, looking out for other people in your company and helping them out. And you said that that sort of provided some surprising results. Tell us about maybe how that started and what's happened and what have you noticed from it? Yeah. I mean, kind of up to this point in my career, I've been just kind of focused on myself, just, you know, attend team meetings, answer questions, focus on my pipeline because I don't know, maybe I didn't feel like I had a lot of value to offer. Maybe I just didn't want to do go provide a, I guess, expend extra effort on things that weren't going to directly impact my paycheck. So I believed. Yeah. But, um, recently I I think I had a sales leader that was like, Hey, so I heard that someone thinks that you're like a a lone wolf. Like you just kind of do your own thing. I was like, Oh, I don't really want to be seen as a lone wolf. Like I want to be a team player. Like I don't have anything against anybody else. I'm not trying to like, you know, make it so that people aren't, aren't performing. Like that's not my goal. I was just kind of just focused on myself. And so it was, it was kind of a moment of realization. Like I should probably be a little bit better about sharing what I'm learning with my team, especially in a startup, because like if the team can uh, do well and perform well, it lifts us all up, right? Mm -hmm. We all do better. And so recently I've been trying to focus a lot more on like sharing my thoughts, my ideas, insights going the extra mile to kind of share some of the content that I've created with the team so that we can all benefit from it. 
And what's been interesting is, you know, I thought it was going to be kind of like, I guess the reason I stayed away from it is because I thought it would be a waste of time or wouldn't impact me or help me as much. But I found that it's actually helped me a lot to be able to teach and share things. And it improves my learning of some of those things as well, just by being able to teach it and share it with others. So it's been really cool to see the impacts it's had on me professionally. And then, you know, feeling good about helping other people on the team as well. Like, just don't, you know, try not to like hoard resources or knowledge, right? Just share that knowledge. Oh, that's interesting. So you feel like through teaching and maybe sharing the benefit, one of the benefits to you is that you maybe you've learned that information better or, or how has it helped you as you've started teaching? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think you hit it right on, like learn it better, uh, be better at using it as well. That's awesome. Well, honestly, I, I wanted to bring this part up because in our conversation we had before, you mentioned that people are scared of calling cell phones or maybe even texting. Like you have a zoom info, but maybe you just call the you know front desk. You never, you never call their cell phone. Is that something you utilize all the time calling cell phones or is that, uh, is that just sort of when you can't get a hold of them a different way? How, how are you using that? Well, I don't typically call the C-suite on their cell phone, but <laughs> right. yeah, like anyone else for the most part. Yeah. Like, so I feel like it's become pretty normalized as well. Yeah. I think, you know, 10 years ago, people would have been really bugged by that, but right. I think it's changed. Uh, I think calling people on their cell, leaving a text message isn't nearly as intrusive as some people might think it is Yeah, more accepted. And it's proven with data that it shows that it's impactful and that it actually leads to results. So people that do activate, you know, cell phones, text messaging are actually seeing higher connection rates and more conversations than those that don't do it. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to me because the business that, that I was in for seven years, um, in express, almost all of my customers, definitely all my top customers. I had their cell phone numbers, like they're doing business on their cell phone, you know? And so it's not strange at all for them to get a business call on their cell phone. I doubt anyone even thinks yeah. twice. Do, do you get any pushback from like manager level or anything like that on? Every once in a while, right? You get someone yeah. that's really old school that gets a little annoyed about it, but I mean. It's totally worth it. There's more value to do it than the every once in a while you might get someone that's upset about it. Just yeah. a couple of rules. Don't call people after, you know, six o'clock or five o'clock. Don't right. text them at four o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> just do it during business hours and you'll be perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that tip. Well, lastly, just to round this off, um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be people who will try to connect with you and, and maybe are curious about Scratchpad. Why don't you tell us a quick, little blurb, I, I'm throwing this at you as a, as a curveball, but can you tell us a little, little elevator pitch on Scratchpad and tell us where people can connect with you? Yeah, people, first of all, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, Jake Wilson, work at Scratchpad, account executive. I, that's probably the best way to connect with me. I don't really use any other social media platforms. Um, as far as what Scratchpad is, uh, Scratchpad is a workspace for salespeople that use Salesforce. 
So Scratchpad makes it easier for you to manage your pipeline, manage your opportunities, take notes, and make sure that all the admin work that you do every day gets back into the CRM in a much quicker and efficient way. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because um, CRMs have been such a pain point for me in my career. And having a CRM that can help you as a sales rep close deals and actually want to uh, use it and it helps you in your job. Um, I mean, that is probably one of the best things I could ever, I could ever think of. So yeah. I wanted to do that. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Jake, for coming on the show. We'll chat a little bit here in a second, but uh, we'll say bye to the audience for now. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.